Welcome to the Wonderful Leaders Podcast, a place for Christian entrepreneurs and leaders to be encouraged and inspired to grow in your personal and organizational leadership. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Wonderful Leaders Podcast uh, with your host, Dan Mordup, and I've got a very special guest today, Chinny McDonald. Um, and you wait till I read her bio. And the first question you'll want to hear is how does she do it all and how does she manage it all? But Chinny is the head of community fundraising and public engagement at Christian Aid. Prior to that, she led the media and PR team there. And before that, led in fundraising and comms roles and other faith-based charities. She read theology and religious studies at Cambridge University before training as a newspaper journalist. And over the years has written for several regional and national publications. Chinny is a regular regular contributor to BBC religion and ethics programs, including Thought for the Day on Radio 4's Today program, The Daily Service, Pause for Thought and Prayer for the Day. She also sits on a number of charity boards, including Greenbelt Festival and Christians in Media. Chinny regularly speaks and writes on issues of race and faith, and her second book, God is Not a White Man and Other Revelations, was published by Hodder and Staunton in May 2021 so it's hot off the press so welcome Ginny. Thank you thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have you on and just tell us a little bit about yourself and what your leadership life looks like. Yeah so um, I live in South East London slash Kent um, I am you know aside from my leadership stuff I am a mum of a three and a half year old busy energetic toddler boy um, and I'm married to Mark as well um, and yeah, life is full. <laughs> life is really, really busy work-wise and all the stuff I'm doing on the side. But the thing that I didn't mention in my bio is I'm also on the leadership team of my church, um, the Bear Church in South East London. And so joined that last year as well. So I guess my leadership life looks um, really um, varied, um, leading in different contexts. So whether that's a Christian aid, um, senior senior leader there, manager team um, of about 60 people across four different teams. So media and PR, supporter engagement, church engagement, fundraising, challenge events, and um, big moments, um, but also in different spheres um, uh, on trustee boards, etc. So there's, yeah, lots of, lots of different stuff going on. <laughs> wow, you make me look like I'm chilling, it's great. Um, <laughs> and uh, to, you know, I wanted to ask you, it's interesting about your career journey, so to speak, you know, and how that's meshed in over the years, because you studied theology and religious studies at Cambridge University, right? Yeah. And, and how did that then lend itself into where you ended up? Yeah, so to be honest, I went to university wanting to be a journalist. So right. uh, strangely enough, I had I wanted to be a journalist, a newspaper journalist since I was about 13 years old. I decided that's what I wanted to be. Um, and journalism is very much, and um, well, at that point, it was very much based on um, doing work experience at different papers, et cetera. So basically from the age of 15, I was on different newspapers and magazines during the summer holidays. And um, I was 15 slash 16, um, doing work experience on the features desk of the independent and I asked the features editor you know what's your advice for getting into the media and he was like um, go to the best university that you can um, for you as a black person and a, and a woman a girl um, I'd recommend that you um, try and get into Oxbridge if you can because actually the media industry is still very much an old boys network 
um, very much made up of those people. It, it continues to be, it definitely was um, while I was at uni. So while I was, so I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll try and get in. Got into Cambridge. I Cambridge don't do journalism as a degree. So I studied the right. next best thing, which for me, I was really fascinated by religion and theology um, having done that at A-level. So um, I went to study theology, but on the side while there, I was the news editor of the university paper. And um, after graduating from uni, I went on to study um, newspaper journalism. So um, I'm kind of tra trained journalist as well before going into various routes and of media and communications. Okay, that makes sense. It's fantastic. Now, obviously, in terms of, you know, the your media role over the years and now, you write, you know, some very challenging pieces, you know, which speak about, you know, about your influence. And, you know, you've, it's obvious you, you bring that mandate and that message. How, how's that, you know, how's that developed over the years? How's that been received? Can you tell us a little bit, you know, because you, you know, you're a challenger of cultural norms and perceptions. And, you know, how have you seen that being used and grown and challenged and developed over the years? Interesting. Wow. So I've never heard myself described as that, but I guess I, I guess that is what I'm well, doing. The stuff that I've read, I'm like, yeah, there's, there's some good stuff. Yeah, I think it's interesting having been um, a trained journalist. As a journalist, obviously, I was the person I'm writing about what was happening in the world. And it was all about actually objectivity and right. taking myself out of the story, not having opinions because you're presenting other people's. Um, and I guess gradually as I've taken on different roles and um, written, written more, um, I think the thing that captures people um, when it comes to media is personal story right. and connection. And I think for me, often where the challenge comes in what I write is around here is how I have experienced the world um, which might not be how you might imagine I might experience the world and here, here are the challenging things that I want to say but I do it through a personal perspective right. um, because often you can't really it's really hard to argue with someone's personal experience right. although people definitely do argue with, <laughs> with my experiences um, so I guess I, I've moved from being on one side of the page or the pen, I guess, to mm. the other. Um, and, and I guess one of the things that I really love doing is um, presenting Thought for the Day on Radio 4, which for those who aren't familiar with it, it's um, a kind of three minute faith slot um, on the Today programme, which is the kind of um, agenda setting news and radio programme in the UK. And I've got three minutes to talk about what is happening in the world, but through a Christian lens. Um, and I, I absolutely love doing that because you have to, first of all, grab people with some kind of story, some kind of connection. Um, you talk about things that are relevant to people who aren't Christians, but you have to weave in Christianity. That's part of my brief. Um, and I love that, you know, you know, seven million people listen to that. So the numbers of people that contact wow. me afterwards or people that you know, people that I went to school with um, who haven't I haven't spoken to for years. Um, they they contact me and they say, I really was, you know, was touched by what you said. And I love it because actually in those three minutes I was speaking about Jesus or the Christian faith. Um, and wow. I love I love, it's a real privilege to get to do that, Isn't that amazing? In, in that space, yeah. That's fantastic. No, so, I mean, so, you, you know, your influence is, you know, you, you can have a direct media influence there, as you're saying, with Thought for the Day. But also you write some, you've written some challenging articles and things like The Times, I know you've written recently, and 
and and obviously I'm going to kind of move on and talk about your your sec is your second book isn't isn't it yeah yeah you no know, God is not a white man and other revelations yes <laughs> I love it absolutely love it now tell us a little bit about that and where did that come from you know what what was the the heart and mindset behind it and it's only been out a couple of weeks am I weeks, correct yeah yeah Three right yeah, so actually the book had been probably you know three or four years in the making um the um I was approached by uh Hodder and Stoughton to write write something which would um yeah to to write something uh because I I like writing I guess I've got um a profile in that area and for me the thing that I really wanted to write was around um being black in, in white majority spaces but particularly the black female Christian experience and from a British perspective, which we often haven't heard much of. So a lot of the right. kind of black black female Christian writers tend to come from the, from the US. So what does it mean to be a black British um, female Christian in white majority spaces? Um, and then when I kind of thought about that area more, um, we landed on this idea of, you know, perce- perceptions of God, depictions of God, um, and how actually you can start with if we look at how God and Jesus have been portrayed over centuries, um, most of the you know artwork, most of you know the images that I have in my head even of what what God looks like are of white men, and how that's the starting point. But actually, um, there's an intended double meaning in my um, book title: God is not a white man, but also white men are not gods. So whiteness, um, white supremacy, and patriarchy need to be kind of uh, taken down, um, especially from a Christian perspective. So I started actually writing the book in March last year. So right at the beginning of the pandemic. And I'm really glad that I hadn't written, finished writing that book before COVID, before Black Lives Matter, before George Floyd, because actually it would have been a completely different book had it been done and dusted before then, because actually a lot of what's in the book is my, my journey over the past year in learning more about black history, black theology, um, seeing the place of black people in various um, uh, places in society and how that kind of, that really um, made the book what it is really. Wow. And um, yeah, first first year, where can we get hold of a copy of the book? Oh gosh, um, most good book shops. So um, uh, Amazon, Waterstones, Foils, um, bookshop.org i have to give shout out to them because they also support independent bookstores fantastic brilliant and when when you were asked to write the book was it from a christian perspective was it because you're a a a christian or was it because of just you know your 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 voice in the media so it's it's um it's from a christian perspective um so it's it's published by hodder faith um the kind of faith imprint of hodder and stoughton so okay brilliant so yeah from a faith and christian perspective and what's and just kind of I suppose just drilling more into into your perspective really. What what's the kind of stance you take on sort of Christians uh, you know taking the lead and bringing change in the in an area such as racial discrimination? Do you think you know should we be more vocal? Should we be taking the lead in it? You know I know it's one of those areas that kind of does divide opinion, doesn't it? Yeah. So I'm absolutely certain that Christians should be should be um, taking the lead on these issues, and I think. Why, why is that? It's because I think as Christians, we surely um, want to be salt and light. Um, yeah. we, we have this idea and this calling and this mandate about God's kingdom coming on earth. And what does that look like? That doesn't just mean um, 
we look forward to going to heaven when we die. It means we want uh, to bring restoration, um, flourishing um, into our um, our societies and our communities. And I think that's why you see actually so many Christians leading in so many spheres across business, arts, entertainment, um, in ways that are bringing that that salt and light, whether or not they they quote Bible passages or whether or not they're, they're doing it from a Christian lens. I think the church should absolutely be you know, in front of society when it comes to issues of justice, um, because I think the vision that we have about how the world should be is the right vision of how the world That's should right. be. Um, obviously, there are, you know, we all think, a lot of us think different things about how the world should be, but I think Christianity should be a force for good in the world. Now, the problem is, especially when it comes to race and racial justice, as I explore in my book, the church hasn't been at the front in kind of leading on this area. The church has been way behind. And often the really painful thing is actually, in many ways, it's the manipulation of the Christian faith or the manipulation of the Bible that has been responsible for some of the racial injustice that we see. So if you look back in, you know, in the, the slave era or, or in you know, the 20th century in, the, in America, Ku Klux Klan members were often also church leaders. You know, how, how can that how can that be? How can those two things coexist? And so there's been this alignment often of Christianity with for some reason, nationalism, whiteness, um, all these things that I don't think the Christian faith is about. So my challenge uh, to the church is to like get from behind <laughs> to, to the front and kind of lead the charge on this area. Well, that's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and, and I think that there's that's that's a mandate, isn't it? That is something that's not just something that should be shared in a book. That's something that needs to be championed across leadership circles and spheres. And one of the reasons, in this, you know, we're doing this as wonderful leaders, this women in leadership series, is because that's also another massive challenge that we see in the area of leadership is just the lack of diversity, the lack of inclusion, the lack of kind of, you know, that sense of we're in, we're all one under Jesus and we should be in this together, championing each other. So I love what you shared there. And just kind of... I would say as well, though, that actually the past year has shown that actually loads of, loads of church leaders are taking up the challenge um, when it comes to racial justice and speaking about this more, talking about it more and recognising that we've been behind um, and kind of getting in front of it. No, that's great. And do you think it's because of the events of the last year specifically almost forced us to have a voice and forced us to take notice? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I think we, we saw a lot of us saw things that we thought we had moved past. Um, And yeah, definitely George Floyd's murder, definitely force people to think oh hang on a minute we are we are not all sorted on this issue um and i've been really encouraged to see church leaders having these conversations fantastic no it's brilliant and kind of drilling down into kind of you know being being a, a female lady in leadership and across so many different spheres of, of influence what have been some of those key challenges that you see for women in leadership so you know both for yourself and, and, and for other other ladies in leadership that you see? I think in some ways it's there are both the external issues and the internal. Right. And I think we, um, a lot of women have grown up in a society that says, you can't do this. <laughs> like, you can't be a leader. Um, you're not what a leader looks like. I think because of that, a lot of us, and I speak for myself as well, doubt ourselves. And we doubt ourselves when we are we find ourselves in positions of leadership and we have that 
um, imposter syndrome about whether we should be there or not. So there are lots of um, practical ways, I think, where women need to have confidence or, or get confidence from somewhere. So I love um, certain story of, I think it's Brené Brown or someone talks about women leaders when you're about to go into a meeting that you're nervous about beforehand you should stand in the in the toilets and do a superwoman pose for <laughs> you know two minutes just to get that confidence so I think there's the internal but I think there are also the external factors so around how women are perceived um how women in, lead in leadership are supposed to behave or not behave um sometimes where a man might be seen as confident and authoritative a woman might be called bossy uh, and it's like an, it's, an, it's a negative and um, because often we don't expect women to behave in certain ways so how can we lead um lead actually authentically so if we are confident if we're authoritative then then be that don't try and make yourself um something that god hasn't created you to be in order to conform uh, but I think the other external factors for me as, um, as I guess, a wife and a mum are the added pressures that women have outside the workplace. Um, so there's lots of studies done into um, the, um, the mental load of being a woman in society. So, um, and that's because we haven't yet rid ourselves of um, the stereotypes of what a woman should be at home. So, right. so I, I'm, I'm battling or, you know, juggling and um, being a mum of a toddler with managing a big team and doing all this other stuff. And the questions that I ask myself even about whether I'm doing the right thing by being in all these right. places. Um, yeah, so yeah, internal and external, um, I guess, factors. No, that's great. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. It's really helpful. And I suppose for those external factors, have you, have you, in your, you know, in your sort of areas of leadership, have you seen a change in attitudes and opportunities for women in leadership over the years? I think there are um, definitely more women in, in leadership. Um, I think what's been interesting is watching um, how um, basically, you know, startups and entrepreneurship has actually in some ways freed women up to do that leadership thing, but not necessarily in the ways that it has looked before. So how can you, you know, if you, what's the word, mumtrepreneurs who set up businesses yeah. when they have children so that they can um, manage both their um, home life and their work life and create right. businesses and companies um, that are suited to um, how women want to work. I think we're obviously much more comfortable and don't question, you know, the fact that women uh, can be leaders and are leaders in any way. So I think that, I think there's loads that has, has changed and um, I think the other side of that is that um, this idea of vulnerability within leadership I think right. um, both among amongst men and women um, has been something that has definitely um, changed in recent years as we feel more comfortable with um, leaders showing their vulnerabilities saying that they are wrong or that they have doubts or that they face a well-being challenges um, and I think that move has made it more um, actually okay to be a mm. woman who feels and, you know, cries or um, as well as a man as well. 
Yeah, brilliant. And I think you know a lot of that's been accompanied with the sort of the rise in emotional intelligence, understanding and understanding of personality types. And there's been there's much more there's much more holistic, you know, kind of research and experience around leadership now. Then you've got you know the Simon Cynics of the world that will you know start to bring that kind of different thinking into leadership. You know, whereas I think historically, you know, even in my experience, it can be quite one dimensional, a kind of alpha male up the front, visionary CEO director approach as opposed to a much more collaborative, holistic, relational approach, which, you know, it's, it's brilliant to see both in ministry and in, and in the marketplace, you know, in business marketplace, where you see teams wanting to be much more well-rounded and holistic and emotionally intelligent and really connected rather than that traditional approach to leadership. And so I wanted to kind of drill down a little bit into some of your own, you know, what goes on inside of you when it comes to leadership. And I want to just quickly ask you, what are some of those leadership keys or principles that you hold on to in your personal life? What are some of those anchor points that kind of keep you going in this whole area? Yeah, so it's funny that you just mentioned Simon Sinek because um, I guess the mantra that is often in my head is um, the title of one of his books called Leaders Eat Last. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Yeah, that idea of leadership not as being at the front necessarily, but um, following, nurturing, thinking about the needs of your teams. Um, and that, you know, that's not often easy to, to do when you have been given a job title, let's say. Yes. Um, but that idea of servant-hearted leadership, um, it probably comes up a lot. Um, and I think for me, that is that is my natural style of leadership. And um, that's my natural personality is to bring people together, um, to collaborate. I'm always thinking about um, how people are. I'm kind of probably oversensitive. <laughs> um, when I walk into a room, I kind of like know how people are feeling and I want everyone to feel okay. Um, and I think when you're leading teams, I I wouldn't underestimate the importance of that because actually um, it's not just about having the right people in the right roles, but having the right people in the right roles who are feeling fulfilled, feeling trusted, feeling empowered, feeling like you've got their back. Um, And I think, um, yeah, so that that to me, that kind of form of leadership is, is, I guess, very Christ-like as well, just happens to be. but uh, servant-hearted leadership, collaborative leadership, um, and leaders eating last, I think. Brilliant. Love that. Fantastic. And what kind of, you know, leaders do you, or not what kind, specifically, what leaders do you look up to or have you learned from over the years? Yeah, so um, I've had some really great bosses and some really great mentors. Um, So I... I guess one of mine would be Steve Clifford, who was my boss when I was at the Evangelical Alliance, who definitely models that um, kindness, um, servant-hearted leadership, collaboration. Um, uh, what, he's just a kind of a good person, <laughs> a good yeah, guy. Um, and it was really great to um, work for him and with him. Um, I guess my, you know, my current boss at um, Christian Aid who's uh, the director of fundraising, Nick Georgiadis, great, um, a great leader and a great example, again, of um, almost like male leadership without macho-ness or without right. ego. Um, 
But I would say as well, our CEO at Christian Aid, Amanda Kozimakwashi, she is um, she's the first CEO that Christian Aid has had who's of African descent. Um, she's from Zambia. She's got uh, a background. She's worked at the UN, BSO, some wow. amazing roles. And she brings courageous leadership. Um, and she doesn't necessarily conform to the ideas of what a woman in leadership you know, should be like. Um, she's not afraid of challenge, um, she, but she is visionary um, and she, she does um, want us to be the best that we can possibly be, even if it's a, you know, a hard road to get there. So, yeah, those, those are my three, you know, three, three bosses that I've had um, who I've really loved working for. That's a great testimony, though, isn't it? There are three, you know, three bosses. Every, every example you gave were, were bosses, previous and current, which is great. What a great testimony. That's fantastic. And um, just a quick question before we come to land. You know, you, what's inspiring you at the moment? You know, is there anything, you know, amongst the busyness and the, the kind of, you know, the, the, the diary, busy diary that you've got, is there anything that's grabbing you currently? Oh, just far too much. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm... I'm addicted to books um right. I keep on buying them and I keep on starting them and or listening to audio books while walking I think I'm really I've just got this thirst for like knowledge and for thinking about the world differently um so I'm inspired um by lots of books that I'm reading at the moment I'm reading a book called a, ch a church called Tove which is about I guess trust trust and leadership right um particularly within church spaces where there has been abuse of power. Um, I love um, Freakonomics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, pod love podcasts um, and thinking about the future, future ways of working and what the world might be like um, post-COVID and what work might be and what brings us value. Um, so, I'm, yeah, I'm inspired by lots of ideas um, constantly. Wow, there must be a lot going on in that, in that brain. <laughs> That's brilliant. So final question, Chinny, because, uh, you know, we've taken up enough of your time. It's been really great chatting to you. Looking back at your life and leadership journey so far, what's one piece of leadership advice you would, you would give your younger self? For me, it is, it's really easy to say this when you've been through, um, been through the disappointments, I guess. But for me, I would tell my younger self, to um, know that God has a plan for your life, including your career. Um, and for me, I think back to my um, my early twenties when I was I was desperate to go to America and be a journalist. I wanted to win a Pulitzer Prize, and then I wanted to come back and I wanted to be the editor of the Guardian. By the time I was thirty, I had all these um, ambitions, and I think for me. To my younger self, I would say, yeah, that ambition is brilliant and it will take you places, but it might not be the places that you think that you are heading. Right. To not be disappointed when doors close um, and just to know that um, and have that trust that, yeah, this door is closing, but there's this amazing door that might be down the road that God's opening um, and to be ready to walk into that. Fantastic. Great answer. Really love that. 
So I think we're going to leave it there, Chinny. It's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you for your time and insight. And yeah, I really hope the book is well received and flies off the shelf and bless you and everything else that you do as well. Thank you so much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Wonderful Leaders podcast. To be part of the community, join our close Facebook group and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Simply look us up at Wonderful Leaders and we'll see you there.